You wanna hear a good joke? Nobody speak, nobody get choked. Sports fans, it is Friday here on 89.1 KHOL and Teton Sports Talk is here to bring you a little bit closer to your weekend. I'm your host, Massey Zeman, and this week we have two special guests. Graham Trainer is out frolicking with his wife at some Austin City Limits micro concert or something. What? I don't know. I didn't get mm-hmm. the gist. I ignored half his text. Once he said he couldn't make it, he was like, I'm going to this cool concert. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I got more important things to do. So in studio... We have the new executive director of the Jackson Hole Kayak Club here to discuss the White Wyoming Whitewater Championships, Ethan McLeod. That's me. Yeah. That's yeah, that's, <laughs> that's you. me. That's yeah, perfect I'm here. introduction. Here I am. Yeah, and a mm. man that has never missed an opportunity to get on a hot mic, Aaron Prusan. Hello. You're also. He's also the. He's also the. Uh, he's yeah. like, wait a minute. Yeah. I, I, I started yeah. the kayak club. Wait, I, I that's, good. that's good. That's good. That's good. I that's own good. Rodney yeah. River Sports. I like cameras and microphones, and he's here to come, I, come explain I it like all. having my head in the water, in the river, the Snake River, a <laughs> lot. You just did it. You, know, yeah. yes. you actually just jumped in Jackson Lake. I just, yeah, was that? it was ice cold. I mean, cold water immersion is is really fun. It's been fun for a long time for me. So that's that's kind of why I like water sports. I'd always be getting in the water when I was a little kid. Wait, you're, Even from, the cold you're from Washington, correct? Washington State, yeah. So you're just used to cold water? Yeah, just used to cold water. I grew up in the south where the bathtub temperature was the appropriate temperature in which you got in the water. See, it kind of freaks me out that. a little bit. Yeah, I mean, well, then you got North Fork yeah. water. That's also the same thing. And you're from Idaho, right? Yeah, so I'm kind of used to that, but also used to the cold water as well. The so I I listened to AP. He was like, "Warm water is weird," and I was like, "No, it's not." And then one day I was visiting my parents, and I was like, "I'll hop into Mobile Bay." And I hopped in, and something bigger than me swooshed its tail to get away from me. It was either like a manatee or something. I was like, mm. "I'm out! I'm out! I'm out of warm water." <laughs> yeah, things in here want to eat me. I, I think I'll just go swim with trout. Like that's that's <laughs> fine by me. Yeah, they'll nibble your toes, but that's about it. Yeah, there's no like crabs trying to trying yeah. to pinch you. Ethan, you're new to the Jacksonville Kayak Club as of last year. Is that right? Yeah, correct. What did you? What was your role last year for them? I was a coach. I was a part-time coach. So I'd, a couple times a week, I'd go with the kids out in the river, teach them how to kayak, facilitate, you know, the muskrats. Some mm-hmm. of them weren't even wearing skirts, just swimming everywhere, making sure they had a quality river experience. And then Reed left, position opened up, I applied, and yeah, now I'm executive director. So That's a big jump. Yeah. How, Aaron, we can discuss your, uh, we can discuss his pay raise, you know, <laughs> if you want to do that. You know, yeah. that's, that's, uh, that's beyond my control. You know, I, I haven't even been, you know, I was the founder and I was the head coach for a long time. And I've been involved with coaching over the years, but I've, you know, kind of stepped away. And the kite club is, it's a wonderful thing. It's its own, it's its own wonderful, thriving nonprofit organization. And uh, I just get to enjoy paddling with, you know, all the generations and generations of great kayakers. Now you have had come two out kids. You've had two kids come up through the kayak club. Is Nate? Well, three. And then. Oh, excuse me. Three. Yeah. And. Yeah, Noah and Nate kind of just transitioned out of it. Um, but yeah, they're both super talented kayakers. They they were part of a crew that was, you know, a pretty serious team. Um, and right now, you know, we have more of a younger crew. But, you know, that's that's kind of cycles in in a sport like that. And, you know, I think Ethan can talk a little bit about, you know, him growing up in a program over in Boise. Mm-hmm. But over the years, you know, the Jacksonville Kayak Club has been, we've attended a lot of competitions, 
different types of racing, slalom racing, downriver racing, boater crosses. And over the years, we have actually inspired numerous other programs in other places uh, because of how many kids we've had, the level of enthusiasm, the, the, the high level of paddling that the kids have been capable of. And, you know, up in the, the Flathead Valley, the Roaring Fork Valley, Cody, places on the Front Range of Colorado, um, down in Utah. So, so let's talk about the beginnings. You, you said you started the Jackson Hole Kayak Club. Yeah, 1996. Now, in, was that unique to the Northern Rockies, or I guess Southern Rockies, depending on where you're listening? But that was a Canada joke. <laughs> yeah, right yeah. over there. All sorts of yeah. smoke. Yeah. Yeah. Canada, What's right? the deal, Canada? Yeah. Keep yeah. it down up there. Um, so, were you? Was there other like it? Like, where, when Ethan? When was your kayak club founded over there in Boise? Do you remember, or do you? I don't know when it was founded. There, there mm. were there were others like it. There were particularly um, in New England, Washington. There was a bunch. There were there were other junior programs. There weren't in this area. Yeah. There was there was something going on in Boise, but it was a relatively young program. And what we we pretty much started with a one group of they were J three athletes from the ski club. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was one of the coaches said, let's get all these kids kayaking. And that was, that was spring of 96. And, and as it turned out, that was a very talented group of, you know, amazing ski racers and just kind of the approach that you have to take to ski racing and skiing, especially in Jackson hole really lends itself to, to whitewater kayaking. A lot of the body positioning mechanics are the same way. A lot of the counterbalancing and leaning, and edging of your boat is really similar. And so that group just kind of took off. And very quickly within the first couple of years, you know, we were traveling around the area and they were kind of turning their heads going, look at these, look at these kids. I mean, these guys yeah. are good. So, and it just kind of fed off itself. Do you think growing up in Jackson and, and the same way with you, Ethan, did you grow up skiing? I did. Yeah. So did you find that like, not oh, so not the barrier to entry, but age is a little bit of a barrier to entry in kayaking. They start when they're six. When when you're skiing, you start when you're can stand. Basically, that's what I've yeah. learned around here. Did you find that like skiing lended itself to kayaking in a way that you're like, okay, this is just another adrenaline sport that I'm getting into? Did you get into it at, at an early age, like some of the kids around here, kayaking or skiing? Both, I yeah. guess. I mean, I started skiing when I could walk, pretty much. My yeah. parents would take me, because it was so close to Boise, it was like 45 minutes away. And then when I was about seven, I joined, or I started at a pool, just in a pool session. I learned how to roll a kayak, and then I loved it. And so I kept on going. And uh, Cascade Raft and Kayak, the kids' club that I grew up in, they then did similar programs where like a couple times a week they'd take us out in the river and then I joined that and then I ended up working for them and pretty much most of my young life I worked for Cascade Raft and Kayak doing various jobs. I worked a position called we were called it's called the monkey program. All right. Where, it's All called right. the monkey program where we were indentured servants pretty much and we'd go live on the property up on the Payette River mm-hmm. and Sounds, exchange, sounds familiar, Aaron. Yeah, in exchange for <laughs> in exchange for kayaking lessons, we do work and like clean up wetsuits and just maintain the property with some loose supervision of, you know, various people from the Czech Republic who wanted to work raft guiding in Idaho, and then they would be oh. like the monkey moms is what they called them, and they'd they'd and they chaperone us. Like, oh yeah, they're great kayakers, and they'd and yeah, pretty much we'd spend all summer living up there 
kayaking. So what age is this? So I started rolling and like getting a kayak when I was about seven. And then by the time I was 13, I was working for Cascade Rafting Kayak as a safety kayaker. Okay. So when, when was the monkey program? That was probably when I was about, I started that when I was probably about 11. So at what point were your parents just like, yeah, go live in the woods for all summer? Well, I think my parents were pretty stoked to get rid of me. <laughs> all <laughs> right. I feel like when it comes down to it, they're like, oh, you get to go live on the river all summer. Like, awesome. We don't have to deal with you. And it's kind of that sort of mentality that. Did you yeah, have any contact with them? Or, or was oh, yeah, we had our... contact with them. And like, we'd call them and uh, we'd see them. They'd come and pick us up every once in a while. But for the most <laughs> part, we were on the loose. So from pretty young age. I was on the loose, just like kayaking, getting raised by 25 to 30-year-old raft guides, you know? Quite the demographic of people. That is fantastic. <laughs> yeah. What, Aaron, do you have a similar story on how you got into kayaking? Were you raised it's, by uh, It's a little J-1s? more like straightforward and wholesome and involved uh, being at summer camp. Yeah. Paddling canoes. And we were not being raised by 25 to 30-year-old raft guides. We were... We were saying our prayers every day, mm-hmm. and and we were doing a lot of singing also, singing together, which oh. I bet they weren't doing as part of the monkey program. No, but a lot of great <laughs> paddlers obviously have come out of the monkey program. But but yeah. no, I was I was a canoeist and mm-hmm. loved canoeing and loved the freedom because you know that was another thing about it that is similar is eight years old, you know, in the kind of in the foothills of Mount Rainier. On the lake, once you could pass the tippy canoe test, you could check out a canoe and just go. Okay. And kind of all of a sudden, kind of first eight years old, like, well, there's kind of very few boundaries here. You know, it's a big lake that I were on and we could just go paddle. And that was like one of the things that I really loved about it right away is the freedom and just being able to paddle around, explore and and be on the water. Is it similar to like learning how to ride a bike in the sense that you're like, whoa, I can get to my friend's house to play spotlight tags super fast now. Like, when you first learn how to run, you're like, why would I walk? I can just run and <laughs> run everywhere. Was it was that like for you, Ethan, where you're like, oh, okay, I'm seven years old, or I guess 11 in this case. Yeah. Now I can do, now I have this vessel in which I can maybe express express yourself is, is kind of a, has a deeper kind of cosmic tone to it. But was it a, was it a way in which you like kind of discovered yourself? Is that too, I'd say yes, is that just because meta? it was a very defining era of my childhood was living on the river. And I learned, I learned a lot because of it. And like we had our own little like group of monkeys. They like to call us. We had little shirts with bananas on them. And, <laughs> you know, and kids from Jackson, like, you know, Peter Neal. You see, he, yeah, he did the monkey some, program with there us. Was some, and, there was some monkeys that, that came out of here that, yeah. that spent time over there. Yeah, so he would, Peter Neal would come out and was a part of the program as well. You know, went off to marry the president's granddaughter. You know, so it gives you a little bit of hope in the matter. Okay. Yeah. Right. yeah. yeah. Oh, kayaker. Oh, yes. Yeah, kayaker. Paper. Yes. Yeah, part Peter of the monkey Mary, program. Yeah. yeah. And Mary so, Neal's kid. Yeah, Mary Neal's kid, Peter. And so, yeah, and we, we had a lot of free reign, just like a little group that would just kind of roam and wreak havoc on i mean not wreak havoc like how malicious could we have been at like age 11 right yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know it's like pretty fun very little supervision living on the river and these little cabanas is what we were living in and describe describe a cabana describe actually describe your everyday like what is it walk me through where you were living what was the living situation like a cabana 
Describe that to me. Yeah, so Cascade Raft and Kayak, it's kind of this long, sprawling property along the river. And there's Which like river? The, the, the main Payette River. Okay. And uh, yeah, near Horseshoe Bend, Idaho. And up top, there was the rafting company. And then there's this long gravel kind of driveway that goes down, big, like, kind of beach area. And there's three little, like, 20 foot by 20 foot square cabins down there that we that had bunk beds and we'd all live in them and open, open air or do you have walls there's walls but <laughs> <laughs> there's walls and I mean, it wasn't they weren't nice and there's no running water in them there's like and then we'd wake up so we'd go to bed wake up first thing we do we were assigned chores we have to like go wash wetsuits like clean this mop this and then we'd get food and so they they provide food for us. They provide right. some cereal cereal or whatnot in the morning. And then after that, um, after we kind of like finish up all our chores and the company started rolling for the day, we would do various tasks. And a lot of us, a lot of it was like us training, I guess. I'm doing air quotes right now. So we'd be like training and paddling down with the rafts. And then like if swimmers fall out, we'd paddle them back to the rafts. But um for the most part, they had free labor and like safety kayakers for a long time until they checked us off and that we were able to do it. And then at a certain point, yeah, we got hired and they started paying us. And this wasn't until I was like 13, so like a couple years down the road after being in this program. But mainly I was just up there to kayak and then we'd get done doing that during the day and then in the afternoon, evening time, go kayak on our own. And there's a lot of people who would take us kayaking. And a lot of the older raft guides were like pretty stoked on taking some of us younger kids out kayaking and showing us down North Fork and then, yeah, and getting us to experience some pretty world-class whitewater that people come from all around the world to experience. Yeah. So you, are you in the Guinness World Book of Records? <laughs> um, if I look this up, if I look this fact up, will it say <laughs> Ethan McLeod? I don't think it's a well enough known sport That's, uh, that was <laughs> to like have it any yeah. guess what a world records. I'm not the youngest kid to have ever done the North Fork. There's a lot of like, there's a lot of really young kids who have done it. A lot of really good young paddlers have come and like the Voorhees. Um, but I guess my only record that I still believe is true that I hold is the youngest vertical mile on the North Fork when I was 15 was when I accomplished that. How much feet do you drop in one lap? 1,800. Well, whatever a third of a mile is. Well, uh, close to a third of a mile. I say a mile's, what, 5,200 feet around uh, there. I don't know. No, 5,200. Yeah, 5,200 feet do three, divided you, by three. You actually, yeah. You do three top to bottoms, and then you actually more. have to hike up, either do one more lower five-mile section or hike back up the golf course and Jacob's Ladder one more time to complete that to get your full vertical mile. Okay. Yeah. That seems like a heck of accomplishment for a 15-year-old. Yeah, definitely was pretty unheard of. And it was kind of an accident that it happened, I guess. In what way? Well, in what way? It was just like one of those days where we went out and we were just doing a bunch of kayaking. And then it was like, oh, two top to bottoms. And then some guys approached me like, oh, you did two tops to bottoms? Like, go do one more and like hike Jake, back up Jake's and like you have a vertical mile. And yeah, so I did it. Was I'll, I'll ask both of you a question. Was that when you were like... I'm really good at this sport. <laughs> was there a moment? In, in, uh, I don't think that really crossed my mind. That I was really good. It's just what I did. You know, it was like my whole life at that point in time was kayaking. What about you, Aaron? Where did well, you I ever mean, have North like Fork a Payette, I mean, everybody, you know, that is North Fork Payette is like, you know, a milestone in anybody's kayaking career in the whitewater world, doing a top to bottom on the North Fork, running Jacob's Ladder still. And it's, it's interesting because it was that way. 
in the late eighties, early nineties, you know, when I, I remember doing my first top to bottom in 1992 and it was like, all right, yeah, this is, this is some heavy white water and I'm doing it and it was, and it was fun, but it was, it was something every single kid in the Jacksonville kayak club from the very, I think we took the kids out to the pay the first year, 1996. Mm-hmm. So, and they saw it. Um, and they actually, so it became like this, you know, this pinnacle that everybody was shooting for the, you know, paddling the North Fork of the Payette, or kind of three things, paddling the North Fork of the Payette, running the Box Canyon on the Clark's Fork of the Yellowstone, and then running the Grand Canyon, the Stikine. Those are like kind of on the lists of every kind of Jackson Hole kayak clubber that has ever like aspired to be, you know. Yeah. Are you are you looking at uh, anybody in the, in the kayak club currently that you're saying maybe they can accomplish these three feats? No, I think you know. I'm sure they can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, they're always, and it's you know, there's so many different aspects to this. You know, we're talking about is more on the expedition side, more of the, you know, I'm using air quotes too, extreme sure. side of things. But what we've also, you know. We've also tried to emphasize, we've been very well-rounded, you know, doing some solemn, we've done some wild water over the years. Actually, Reed, your predecessor, and um, Brooke Turkovich got, Turkovich got to travel to Europe and compete in the World um, wild, Junior Wild Water Championships. I remember And that. yeah, that was great. And I was their coach then, and that was really fun. And we've done a lot of freestyle, a lot of playboating, um, and held competitions for all of these things right in Jackson. So let's talk about, cool. let's talk about that briefly. The Wyoming whitewater championships is mm. on starts Thursday, the 31st. Oh, sorry. Wednesday, the 31st. There's a film festival here at the center for the arts. What is, what is going on in the film festival? What are, what are you expected to see? Um, so there's a, there's a film coming in um, called tribal waters. And so they're showing that here. We've partnered with the Snake River Fund to make this right all here. happen. Right here. Yeah, in, in the, the Center for the Arts. In the Center for the Arts, We're currently yeah. in the sweltering basement of the Center for the Arts, yeah. just in case anyone needed to know our location. Right here <laughs> yeah. on uh, Cash and Simpson. Yeah. So and and that starts on the Wednesday the 31st. And that evening, and then the following day, Thursday, depending on water levels, we're going to be having a freestyle competition. And so that's one thing... So we have a lot of listeners that have no idea what a freestyle competition is. So we're going to have to spoon feed some of these guys. Freestyle competition. We'll just just go through the disciplines right now. Sure. Because we're talking about expedition. Expedition, I guess, you know, you'd see expedition kayaking on things like the wild world of sports or American sportsmen, things like that, Mm -hmm. you know, back in the 70s and 80s. And and now there's so many different outlets for this type of, of, you know, for on uh, media and television, Red Bull TV, all these events, you know, all these outlets have great, great whitewater. But when we talk about competition, there's the Olympic disciplines, which are basically flatwater sprint and then whitewater slalom, which whitewater slalom, you're going through a series of gates. There's upstream gates. So you have to turn into an eddy, come out, um, going upstream, downstream gates that are green. You have to go downstream through. You get a penalty if you hit the gate. And that's a very structured, very structured. Most of these are on man-made courses. Now Um, there's also the extreme whitewater slalom, which is something like North Fork championships or event. Um, Ethan, well, I'll be attending. We've taken the club to before Ethan might be attending 
up at Big Fork, Montana next weekend, which is, you know, whitewater gates, but on a hard class four or five section of river. So less gates, less control, more consequence. Um, and then another like traditional World Cup discipline in Europe is wild water downriver racing. People have seen these boats, pull pedal paddle, funny wing shape, really tippy looking, really tippy feeling machines, just trying to go point to point as fast as possible, mm -hmm. timed run. And, um, and then freestyle is all about tricks and big moves and surfing features like lunch counter or King's wave and seeing how many different tricks you can do in 45 seconds, basically. Okay. And, and you're saying depending on water levels, it might be in a couple different places. Can you, do you know off the top of your head, what your, or not off the top of your head, but what are your kind of penciling in what what features and where it'd either be kings or lunch counter okay would be the two options that we have really depending on water levels and if the water is too high there could just be no competition whatsoever and we don't really know what's going to happen with the flows unfortunately but what about mini kings i guess we have could. You thought have you thought about that mini kings being yeah. the whole feature right there at the confluence of the hoback and the snake it's a possibility. It's very yeah. fickle. Very fickle. You know, very fickle. Because it's it, nice to have consistency. The snake can flood it out, you know, if the snake comes up too much. So, yeah. um, you know, we've had some great, at the peak, freestyle, I'd say freestyle competitions kind of peaked right around the year 2000. Mm -hmm. We had, year 2000, we had 100 competitors at King's Wave. Whoa. And huge event. I mean, and you run like a surf comp, you know, where you got heats people going head to head cycling through on the feature and you know i'd say it was it was a lot of work putting on those events and it was it the scoring because of the multitude of tricks got very very complicated the scoring and uh and judging so we actually kind of backed away from that a little bit um and went to more just kind of concrete like you know, Grays River, we've had a downriver race on the Grays for many, many years, yeah. which is just simple. We've done point-to-point -point time trial, and we've done mass start head-to-head, -head, which is super exciting, where everybody's running Le Mans start, running to jump in their kayaks, paddle down two miles of Class 4 and 5 whitewater as fast as possible. And, you know, talk about, I mean, Ethan can talk about this. Motocross, when, you, when you're going full full out, full lactic, out of breath, and you get flipped by either a competitor going for the same line or the fact that you actually accidentally missed your line, you ended up in a big hole. It's a, it's kind of an indescribable feeling. It's like trying to get a breath when, you know, an elephant's stepping on your <laughs> chest, something yeah. like that, you know? So, um, so the free and the water's cold. Free yeah. And the water's cold. Freestyle yeah. is... I'm sorry, I'm all lost in my uh, movie wins movie film festival Wednesday. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Freestyle we a little bit. When Thursday, Friday is what? Friday is the down river race down the Hoback. Okay, and that starts at six o'clock. And where do people meet? Um, at the Gilcrease cabin, just up from Hoback towards Pinedale, and it's, it's about a mile up on your right. And from the road, you can kind of oversee the field. There's going to yeah. be a bunch of cars down there. And we'll put signage out, You too. won't be able to miss it. You won't be able to miss it. No. Okay. And yeah. You know, the great thing about the Hoback race, too, is it is really for everyone. I mean, we will, of course, have safety. I can't 
we can never underestimate the risk of just being on any river, especially during runoff. Um, but we, but there's, you know, there's a kayak race for short boats, long boats. There's a raft race. Last year, we had amazing Very participation from the different raft companies. And, um, you know, that's, we've had people in inflatable kayaks, stand up paddle boards. You get to paddle right by where everybody, where the uh, concert and the party will be. So super, super fun event. And, uh, you know, and then we're going to have, have an event at, on the Hoback that evening. Yeah. With, who's playing that night? Um, that night, Hot Pocket will be playing. So they're a local band. And then after Hot Pocket, we'll have a couple local DJs playing as well. So it's going to be a long night of music and festivities. Camaraderie. Yeah, camaraderie. It is Raffle. A, it yeah. is a great way. Now, the, the let's call it affectionately the River Rat community in Jackson, the rafters, the kayakers, the paddleboarders. It's a great way for all those disciplines to get together and have a good time. And we saw it last year with the Snake River Fest. I think there was there's camping down there as well. I think there was what two two to three hundred people down there last year. Probably, yeah. And it's gonna be the same, if not bigger, this year. Is our plan good? Is and our hope? Yeah, it's like I mean, it, you don't even have to participate in the race. It's it's fun just to be there amongst the the, the community. Spectate. Yeah, yeah, there'll be people traveling for this event because um, you know it was on the circuit at one time and. It's fine that we're not, but it's there are fewer whitewater events this year, and I think you know we have good water. So, you know, to continue the 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 schedule too, because we're on it. We got yeah. We'll just do a quick re- recap. Yeah. Wednesday night film festival, Thursday night freestyle if conditions allow. Yeah. Friday Hoback race concert party on the Hoback celebration of river life. Yeah. Let's just call it. Yeah. You know, that's, yeah. that's called life it on is. the river. Yeah. You know, and this is part of Snake River Fest. I want to thank our friends at the Snake River Fund for sure. And then Saturday, it's kind of the more, I call it the marquee event, right? Yeah. The boat across on the grass, which yeah. is it's the best spectator sport here in Jackson. I agree. I mean, you're not going to argue with that. Yeah. You know, well, I, mean, we have, <laughs> what, I don't know what uh, you have moose hockey. You have, I guess the rodeo can count. There's a lot of different things, but Snaggletooth Rapid is right there on the road. The road is elevated probably, what, 30 feet above the river? Yeah. And it's Snaggletooth is this big kind of sweeping left-hand bend, and you can see the start, and you can almost see the finish, but the meat of the rapid is right there. It's almost like auditorium seating. Come, park your car, grab a chair, and watch. It is so exciting. Now, y'all participated in the race before. Yep. Oh, yeah, I think— are, you won last year, right? I won last year. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, so we're we're, <laughs> yeah. we're both past champions. Oh, okay. yeah, I'm yeah. Talking, so I'm talking yeah. To, all yeah. right, all right. Here we yeah. go. Yeah. So mm. let's let's do some champion talk here. What is your favorite? So let's let's start from the beginning. You have time trials that establish an order. Seating. Correct? Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Five boats at a time? Four boaters at a time? We were doing four. We did four. Yeah, it depends four. on how many people enter and how we can divide that up, but probably four would be the best, just, you know, safely, <laughs> safely. And we will have, get you yourself will have safety the boaters there. Yes, oh, yeah. absolutely, yeah. Where is your favorite position to start? Let's say river right to river left. Where is your favorite position? I'm going far right because it's it's the fastest, you okay. know, run, coming right to left. But All it's right. the riskiest, too. What makes it the riskiest? Because you've got it, you've got the most, you've got the fastest water, but you have to cut across the grain of the current to get to the left because it bends to the left. Mm-hmm. So you got to kind of straighten your line, and you're you're risking getting t-boned by the other paddlers coming down the left or the center. Is that and, was and that then the pole you're going position? right across the hole too? So was that the, the pole position you were in when you won last year? Well, I tried a couple different lines, and I won both heats, so they both worked for me. Guess it depends on 
who you're going against. Did you take anybody out? Um, no, let's, let's rephrase that. Yeah. Did you run into someone and they happen to wash out? <laughs> well, I think more is along the lines of someone trying to take me out. Ooh. And they, the turntables. Yeah. <laughs> and they, through that process, actually ended up getting themselves stuck in a hole. Nice. So, yeah, it didn't work out for them. But... They tried to spin me out at the mm. bottom part, and then them attempting to do that threw them offline. They went into a hole, and then I was able to pull ahead because of that. Can we name names? Was, yeah, it was uh, Eric Greger. Oh, Eric. <laughs> and I felt his boat, yeah, right up on my back, but luckily I was in a half slice, and he wasn't able to get any traction on the back of it, actually, and then... Yeah, I found himself in the hole because of that. <laughs> Eric, that's tough. That's tough. Yeah, sorry, Eric. But the, you know, the nice thing about that rapid, you know, Snaggletooth, it's it's four plus, five minus, depending on level. So it's it's you know, it's it's got some consequences, some big holes you can end up in. And um pretty clean right now, which is good. There's no wood in it, so we hope it stays that way. Um but is there's multiple interpretations and All right. and there's you know, because if you go far left. You have less risk, a little bit straighter line too, actually, but you're hitting a few more, a few more pieces of whitewater that can slow you down. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, multiple lead changes are common for that, and and then coming around that last bend, it's really easy to get to get knocked offline. So. And there's a kind of a sprint at the end, right? Yeah. They have oh, to yeah. touch the nose. I mean, the, the whole thing is a sprint. Yeah, I've judged it before, and I've gotten yelled at by grown men. I was like, what? Why are, you, <laughs> why are yeah. you yelling at me? But it seems like between boaters, I know there is a little bit of a, a hijinks, let's say, where you want, want to spin out somebody else. But it, this, the camaraderie between racers seems like it's something that you can't really put into words. But I'm going to try to ask you to do just that. Well, I mean, I think – we, you know, as river runners, and one one of the reasons I think I've made so many close friends over the years running rivers and especially traveling around running, you know, really challenging rivers is there's a pretty small crew, even on an international level, that's that's doing it. And, you know, I've, I've met people at put-ins and ended up doing multi-day river trips with them. Did you just show Be, up at a put-in? Or well, you... we, we had our our crew and other crews, you know, came together. Um, and usually they would not be total strangers. They would be people that, that we knew of and, or they knew of us. And there's just kind of an unspoken, you know, thing about when you put on a river like that, that you're going to, you're going to have the other person's back and vice versa. And you're, you're realizing, I mean, you're going into some of these canyons that are, you know, pretty remote places with uh you know very very slim chance of help if if anything does go wrong and you're putting yourself in a situation with whitewater where there's lots of chances of things going wrong so um so i think that's why for me like i've made so many great friends and also same same note goes with some of these competitions where everybody's in it together you know like grays is a good example north fork championships yeah. race like gore canyon where everybody's doing something that is, you know, testing them and also maybe scare scares them a little bit, but is challenging. And so that's, you know, that's it does it does develop that with with all the men and women that I've you know gotten a kayak with for sure. Have either of you two been in a position when you have been racing to having to stop what you're racing and rescue a swimmer? I haven't. 
But I, that is Ethan's been too far ahead to know what was going on behind. <laughs> is what I'm yeah. gathering here. But I mean, it happens, and if you're ever in that scenario, you should help, and like that is the right thing to do. And you would never be penalized for that. You'd probably just get another chance. Yeah, depending you on would the get event. I mean, chance. I've definitely yeah. come upon people that were having having troubles. And fortunately, I've been lucky, and like safety's there on yeah. it, and they're like, keep mm. going. I so. think. Yeah, the thing about kayaking is it puts you in a very vulnerable state and you really have to trust the people you're with because a lot of these rivers, especially the hard ones that you're doing, you it's not like a sport where you can just bring anyone there, you know, sure. and have them like make it down there. There is like a certain amount of skill and you also have to trust the decision making on the part of the people that you're gonna be with because a lot of it's very consequential. And yeah, you risk a lot, you risk your life huh. in the process of doing it, and you have to be there for the people and like, yeah, there's been a lot of relationships that I've started with people who I've hardly known, but I've had to, yeah, I guess save their lives, you know? And like, that's obviously like maybe they wouldn't have, you know, passed away or anything like that, but it is in a scenario where the risk is so high that that's a consequence that could have happened. That is on the table. That is on the table. Of course. Yeah. Have you ever had a, a, a vulnerable, you seem like you don't have a memory before, older than you kayaking is <laughs> there ever been yeah, a mo- I, do, I do but not very many <laughs> is there ever been a moment where you have found yourself being the vulnerable one and you've had to make a decision of like do i actually want to continue kayaking or do i want to take up golf you know just as an example extreme opposite example of that is there a moment where maybe you've been on a trip and something has happened where it's kind of sh- shaken you to the point of like Okay, I'm gonna have a conversation in the mirror with myself when I get home. Definitely, yeah. I is think that, I've had I think I've had you... many of those experiences, okay. and maybe too many of them. I should have learned earlier on from not necessarily my mistakes. Well, I have learned from my mistakes, but like a couple separate occasions where also like diving into like the trusting the people you're going with and like their decision making and like their mentality around kayaking and what they believe is just like what their risk tolerance is. May I pry and ask you when and where or? Yeah, I'd say. You don't have to say names. I'm just wondering when and where. No, I'd say probably one of my biggest um, and like most profound kayaking experiences along those lines would have to be in Ecuador Mm -hmm. when I went down there to kayak and one of the local guys who was down there, he recruited us. He's like, we should go to this this river, the Rio Magdalena. And. You go from Quito, it's like a three-hour drive on dirt roads out to this very remote village. Um, You cross a bridge and you look at this river. It's like, wow, this is like a beautiful river. There's not very many people around. And, you know, the closest hospital is three hours away. And Mm. we're kind of out in the middle of nowhere. You're in the jungle. The jungle isn't a very hospitable place. It's like everything's biting you. It's hot. And... Yeah, and so we... Everything wants to kill you and eat you. Yeah, everything wants to kill you and eat you, and we get on the bridge, and he's like, oh, the level's perfect. And we're like, all right, let's go. And we didn't know what we were getting into. It was like him and four gringos, right? And so we go up to the put-in, and we get on, and from the start, it's massive. And it's just like a very, a very stout Class 5 river. And we aren't even at the first rapid yet. And we get out... And we're, or we're going down. He's like, well, there's like sometimes an eddy here, but like right now I'm not sure if there is a place to stop because of the flow. And we're like, okay, so like, do you know, like, have you, like, do you know what the flow is? Like, have you ever done it this size? Like, no, I've never done this river with this much flow. And so we 
And so we get we go through the first rapid. Things are going smooth smoothly, and we get to the second rapid. And he's like, "Okay, we could look at this, or we could just run it." He's like, "This one always kind of gives me, you know, chills to think about. It's like kind of scary. The line's pretty simple. You go right to left." And he's like, "You only get one chance to run it blind." Was the quote I remember him saying, oh, which is a crazy. Now that now that I think back around. on that, that's like a pretty crazy thing to yeah, that's say. That's a little loose. That's a little loose for me. Yeah, <laughs> I, you no, know, and, I'd be. Yeah. And so what happened next is we go and we're deciding, we're like, okay, we're just going to go run this rapid. And so we are going through it right to left. And then at the very bottom of the rapid, there's a river wide ledge hole. And <clears throat> I'm the third one to go down. And then at the very bottom ledge hole, I crest over the top looking down into it. And there's the two people who are in front of me and they're both getting surfed in it. And then, okay. And then all, all of right. a sudden I'm running into them and I'm getting surfed with them. And then the fourth person behind us is also getting surfed with us. So all four of us are stuck in this river wide ledge, ledge hole and there wasn't much getting out is pretty heinous. And so we were getting beat down in there. A couple people flush out. They like their bows go in. They're able to get out of the hole. And then it's just me and Joaquin, who is the local stuck in there. And I'm in the hole looking at him as we're both side surfing it. And I see him and he I watch him dislocate his shoulder. Whoa. And so he, yeah, and he dislocates his shoulder right in front of my eyes. And I'm like, okay, things just got very very heavy was your brain, and he's was your, your leader and he's our leader yeah he's your leader. should we explain what that? a hole is it's yes please okay i'm just kidding because this is a great yeah. story and I, I just want to make sure so most people are familiar with like a dam or where water water flows off of something so steeply and with so much force that it recite recirculates back on itself and forms what's called a hydraulic or a hole and anything that floats will get stuck in this hole and a really bad one even if you're swimming out of your kayak you're still going to be stuck in it and um then you need someone on the shore with a throw rope to be able to pull you out sure to rescue you and these these are one of the things you know big unknown stoppers as they're sometimes called the brits call them stoppers um hydraulics or we holes. have a lot of brits on the I mean, show these are like you know well the brits you know they're kind of kayak legends you know? so <laughs> yeah. um but but it, it it's a good definition. They stop you cold, and when you're running an unknown river rapid, that's one of the things you fear the most. Yeah. Either a, a log across the whole stream or a big bad hole that's going to stop you. Especially, and we didn't know it was there. Yeah, especially yeah. one that is described. You described as river wide and a ledge, which is a uniform way and makes the hole kind of terminal is the word that I would use, but it, it's not the right word in this case. Uh, you you can yeah. you can expound. You can get out of it. You can get out of it. Yeah. So your brain is able to process fast enough where you're getting served in this huge hole. You're like, okay, this thing yeah. just got serious. You're still in the my hole guy just point. turned himself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so he and so he. I see him like dislocated shoulder. His paddle's gone. He has his arm kind of crimped up in an awkward position, and then he is able to pull a skirt and he swims and he's out. I'm still stuck in the hole, and. His kayak's in there with me for a second. It comes, whips me really hard, and then it flushes out, and then I'm still stuck in the hole, and I have to get myself out, and I was able to remove myself from that situation. So I piled out of the hole, and I got out of it, and so go downstream, and we were able to get Joaquin out pretty quickly. And so he was on shore, things were safe, and he was on shore, and I paddled up to him being like, hey, are you all right? Like, we need to relocate locate your shoulder right now. And he looks at me, and he says go chase my boat, my keys, my car in there. And I was like, and I was like, and I looked at the back of him and I was like, and I was like, no, because 
we need to relocate your shoulder and like this is class five white water i have no idea what's downstream from us so yeah we we get out and we try to relocate his shoulder it was like pretty is it a pretty bad state and we weren't able to relocate it and we probably weren't in that fast enough time period um in that in between state where his muscles clenched clenched up and we weren't able to get it back out and so then from there we're like okay you're not gonna relocate your shoulder now we need to go walk down the bank find your kayak which we did eventually and we got the keys to his car we hiked out of there drove him to the hospital three-hour drive on dirt roads to the nearest hospital where like every bump is jarring his shoulder and he's just grimacing in pain it was one of the most painful things i've ever watched in my entire life and like the consequences were high and as we're driving out we can like see bottom parts of the river and we realized that the entire bottom portion of the river had been flooded it was like flooded out and there was just way too much water down there and if we had maybe continued downstream we could have been in a very worse place for all of us we could have all just been totally screwed what what is the conversation what's the debrief like what's the when you're looking at yourself in the mirror what's that conversation like well the conversation looked like okay i really need to put more thought <laughs> into you know into like not blindly following people but realize the amount of trust that you have like the amount of trust that you have in people has to be so strong and then also understanding people's risk tolerance because this guy joaquin this isn't the first time he's been in situations like that he was in situations where he was one of the only people that lived on rivers in ecuador where these things are happening and like i've gone back and like paddled things and like he's invited me on missions where i was like no I don't want to do that because like, I'm a little bit too scared. I don't believe that your mindset is the right one to go into this with because yeah, I'm scared. (laughs) And like, that was scary. And he had to eventually go back and get surgery. He couldn't even get surgery for a while because he drank water on the way back and anesthesia and whatnot. But after that experience, it was sobering, you could say, and just to realize that, okay, yeah, consequences are high. We were in the middle of nowhere and like we all very easily could have ended up in a much worse place. And like maybe it was even serendipitous that he dislocated his shoulder and that we didn't weren't able to continue downstream because we could have been in a very worse place. And but that didn't shake your passion for kayaking. You, you didn't have <laughs> a you didn't have a moment where you're like, mm, maybe, maybe. No, I've not. had I've I've had those moments and like my relationship with kayaking has changed over the years and like my risk tolerance is a lot lower now for extreme kayaking just because it is something i worry about and like i've seen yeah no people who have gotten very injured or passed away and seen really scary situations and i don't want to have that happen i don't want to have those situations happen anymore so it's made me want to take less risks but like that doesn't mean you still can't make kayaking fun because that's the thing you don't have Kayaking doesn't have to be a sport where the only time you're feeling the most alive is when you're scared. Yeah. It can be fun in like so many different other fashions. And obviously I have a very extreme take on like, you know, the edge that it could go to, but also, well, there's so many, especially in our region, I mean, yeah. there's so many just amazing multi-day river trips, for instance, that you can do that, you know, you can do as a novice even or intermediate paddler and really enjoy just a spectacular river trip. Yeah. You know, Maine Salmon, for instance. Beautiful spot. Wonderful. Yeah. Midsummer, pretty warm water, pool drop, fairly low consequence. Sandy just, beaches. Sandy beaches, just super fun. I mean, the whole thing's like a day at the beach. And, you know, there's even other rivers that are that are calmer than that. So I think, you know, that's one thing that for me, I've really kind of 
in my 50s, I, I definitely am managing risk a little bit better, I feel like, than I was when I was in my 20s. Yeah. And and I liked, you know, at that age, I really liked being scared a lot. You know, I liked Whitewater. That would, would scare me. And now, you know, the idea of following someone down a river I've never seen before in a foreign country that maybe has barely ever been run yeah. at flood levels, you know, that's kind of... That's kind of really pushing things yeah, pretty sure. hard. Whereas, yeah. you know, we have opportunities. Yeah, we just have so many opportunities for for just simpler and easier ways to enjoy yeah. all the great rivers and whitewater we have in this area. I also have an awesome GoPro video of this all happening. Whoa. Yeah. If the two of you, if the two of you, it's like yeah, happened, I mean, unfolds right in front of him. That, like on camera, you watch him dislocate his shoulder. It's that, crazy. That maybe should be yeah. just as something like, a cautionary tale on the kayak club website or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, no like, kidding. Because, is... yeah, those things happen more regularly than you'd know, and especially in a country like that where things are changing so constantly. You know, if there's black clouds at the top of the drainage, you maybe don't want to be there because any moment it could flash flood and, you know, location and, like... Jungle rivers, yeah, man. It's crazy. I've I've only... It's crazy. It's warm imagined. water. Too weird. Yeah. Warm water. <laughs> yeah, back like, to the warm water. Like, yeah. yeah. Like that's snakes yeah. are just you never know. What's, yeah. Yeah. Things. Mid, everything's biting you. Mid swim, there's yeah. actually a snake. Yeah. With yeah. his jaws open. It's almost scarier. Can I? Can I flip that question to you? Do you have a a moment where you're like, this is a big step in my understanding of what kayaking is, or shook your foundation of wanting to do the sport, Aaron? You know, I. I really, it was just really very early on, like my first, it was, and it was really nothing even that bad. Just, I just remember swimming and getting sucked into a big whirlpool and just getting pulled down really hard, you know, and you know, your life jacket's just not enough flotation. And, and then I popped up and it was fine. And someone was right there and helped me and got all my stuff and everything was okay. But there was that second yeah. And I was just like, wait a second. I was pretty, pretty young, pretty new to the sport, just kind of like pretty new to whitewater. You know, I'd paddled a lot and I was like, I don't know if this is this side of it's for me. And then like right then and there, the person I was with was like, just, just get back in. Let's, you're fine. Let's just keep going. Yeah, that was scary, but, but you're going to be fine. And I was just like, okay. And it was like, I could have, the switch could have flipped the other way. Right. Right. Then. Like, and then and I got back in and then. All of a sudden, you know, and then a few more times, um, I remember when I really knew that I was very hooked is my first few like kind of big, bigger water river trips. I was always like looking, where's the takeout? Where's the takeout? Yeah. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh man, that's the takeout. Okay. So your you know, attitude, your like, approach. Yeah. Change. I was like, whoa, no, I want to keep, I want to keep doing this yeah. more. And yeah. And it's. It's, um, I mean, I think, you know, knowing like the kids that I've coached here that have gotten really into it have just become just literally and figuratively immersed in just wanting to go. I mean, you can see the fire in their eyes when they get off the river on a great day of whitewater. And it's kind of like a powder day feeling. Yeah. You know, you're tired. You just, you're, you've just been through some white fluffy stuff, but it's, it's liquid instead of snow. And then you just, you want to go again and again and again. And that's, you know, that passion for it is what actually helps you become better and develop skills. Um, but it also becomes, you know, there's still, 
you know, here I am, 54, still really enjoying going and exploring great whitewater. I found when I was no. when I was coaching for and the, racing and racing, <laughs> you know, when I was coaching talking for the about club. sports. Oh yeah, for yeah, 50, racing. Uh, You're kayak racing. Rigidly I can't times. stop kayak racing. Huh. It's it's so much fun. <laughs> I'm I'm half your age. I didn't even realize I know. that. Yeah, we talked about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Does that hey, make your you birthday feel old? when you turn yeah. twenty-seven? Oh, yeah, because yeah, I just turned. Yeah, we're both September. Yeah, yeah, fifty-four. Or twenty-seven. Like, or like spirit animals. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. I found the most rewarding thing when I was coaching for the club was the confidence in someone being like, where's the takeout? Where's the takeout? And you can tell the kids that are kind of gripped. And then maybe towards the end of the summer, they were stoked. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah. here's this. You know, here's less, uh, a benign rapid. Here's uh, ropes and, and cottonwood and lunch counter. And, and they get stoked. And you kind of see that fear in their eyes start to go to, like, excitement. And that's what uh, – and the soft skills that you learn kayaking in through the club – I've had parents come up the to focus. like Rainer no. and Eric, and and those are the guys I coach with, and be like, "What did you do to my kid?" We're like, "Uh, uh, what, what do what do you mean?" Like, he like walks around a little more confident. He's like telling me, no. telling me some cool stories, and he's very stoked. And then there are some kids that get into the club and they, they're like, "Nah, this isn't for me." But the ones that stick with it, I've I've really seen seen like a developmental phase of of their uh, the of, the yeah. confidence is is an amazing part of it. And also, you know, learning to have, have your scene together that you need to, you know, you've got all this equipment you have to have together. You've got to be a responsible member of a team kind of anytime you're on a whitewater run, you know, there's kind of a, uh, an approach to rapids that, that needs to be, that needs to be followed in a certain way and approach to where you are in, in the group, as far as if you're way in the back, you know, you're kind of sweeper and you need to be looking out for the people in front of you and, and if you're in the front, you need to be considering, you know, how other people are going to be entering this rapid. And I think I, I've heard that from numerous parents over the years is, you know, the confidence factor is is huge in yeah. that it just really, especially in this day and age where there's so much coming at people. When I'm in Whitewater, you know, it's very, I love it because you can just focus on what's right there. You're not. Yeah. There are no distractions. Like the six inches in front of your yeah. face is all that yeah. matters. Really, you can't think about anything else. And like you have those moments where like, all right, you know, there's been times I'm at the top of rapids. All I can think about was like, oh, I love you, mom. You know, <laughs> and like that's. And then like after that, you like focus and you have nothing else you can think about. And yeah, and I know a lot of people who also are like, all right, with forever being a class three kayaker because it's fun and like you don't need more than that and i think once you like get to a certain point you're like oh maybe i'll try class four and then once you get class four you're like oh maybe i want to try class five too but but you don't yeah. have to you know i mean it's the equivalent yeah. it can like, be, if you like yeah. to ski you don't have to jump off a hundred no. meter to have fun no you yeah. don't you, you don't can just have, to, have a good time you don't have to ski corbett so yeah you don't, yeah you don't have to just low angle power field go there, exactly. there is a there is a spectrum in, in kayaking as well yeah yeah it's Absolutely. like fun no matter what and like luckily for people like us i feel like you know, if I had to right now, I could leave kayaking behind for like years and then come back to it. And that's something I'll always have. You know, it's for like me, one it's of not those... like riding a bike. Okay. I have to start almost every single season and go through a progression that I'm so sick and tired of. Yeah. But I do it every single year and I have yeah. to knock the rust off in the same way. And and I have the same approach every every single year. But I guess if you grow up kayaking, it's it's much different. It's different. Yeah. Do you, I mean, ever, do you ever think that you're the 25-year-old Czech guy showing kids down the, uh, a new crew of monkeys down the river? Have you, have, you sw have you thought about that in your brain? You're like, wait, I'm the executive director 
of the newest version of the monkey guys, monkey men. I have thought about that. And how I was raised is obviously different. And I progressed through the program and I worked for them. And then we, we don't allow you. child labor. Sorry. So I just want to be clear we're about probably, that. You know. We're probably violating. Yeah. There's probably yeah. some uh, law violations there. Maybe but, I have to take out the garbage once in a while. Yeah, yeah I, you know, recycle you know, a little bit. Yeah. Teaching some stewardship. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think we don't necessarily only teach people how to kayak. We teach happiness too, a little bit. If you really think about it, and I know I've known a lot of people who, you know, get into kayaking and they're willing to just give up things in their life that they used to hold very dear, like running water or like a shower and just like go live in a van down by the river. People I know who have like gone so into kayaking, they're right with panhandling for money, like, you know, holding a sign up. And I don't think. Obviously, that's analogous to everyone who starts kayaking. Sure, sure. <laughs> and if you can start kayaking, yeah, you're gonna be you start kayaking, yeah, you're going to be a bum. No, that's not how it works, but it is like one of those lifelong skills that you could bring into your older age and have that forever and have that joy. And there's something about being on the river in the water that... Yeah, is, like Mick Hopkinson's yeah. 74 now. Yeah. Still running rivers. Yeah, I saw, him the, I saw him the other yeah. day at the takeout of the GV. Some people, yeah. you could just give a craft, you know? give a craft and gear to and like they're going to be happy because they're in the water and that's pretty cool that's what i think it's cool about well it sport. does it does in in you know incite the passion that you see in people that you know become dedicated lifelong skiers and just live to ski and surf climb very similar it's just similar a little vein. bit a little bit smaller smaller crew in general yeah I would say. small world um, definitely i think we're the yeah. only sport that's actively trying to grow you're like, you want to start kayaking? I can I can show you a little bit about kayaking. Yeah. Where skiers are kind of like bah humbug when they see more skiers out yeah. the hill. So, well, it's yeah. just never it's always had a, a, a challenging entry point. And I think everyone, no matter how long they've kayaked, kind of remembers that because you know you're everyone had someone. Everyone if, had if you're yeah. talking whitewater, yeah. You're talking about being comfortable, not being able to breathe for a little while. Like that's that's like some people never are that into that. But yeah. um that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we got it. We, we were talking a little bit about the kayak club and, um, you know, I was thinking about some of the, some of the people like from Brady Johnston, like the first year to people like Eric Parker, Ben Dan, you know, somebody like Owen Doyle, who was, took things to the highest level last year, finishing fifth at North Fork championships, yeah. which is that guy's on fire. one of the biggest races in North America. But, um, not I, just... I taught him the wet exit is my claim to fame. <laughs> yeah, so that's, yeah, yeah. that's a big part of kayaking. Yeah. yeah. Not for him anymore. But like... Well, just, you know, some of the, there's been a, a number, like generations of kayakers that have gotten in to become, you know, real leaders in the outdoor industry in their own right. Um, you know, Brady with, you know, he still kayaks, but with climbing and ski racing and Eric Parker being one of the, you know, most well-known river whitewater photographers published in the world. Ben Dan, of course, cinematographer for TGR and uh, making ski movies and surf movies and kayak movies all around the world. So it does for many of the kids from the club, it's opened up some great doors Yeah, and we're going to just segue right in to what we're talking about. I mean, we love rivers. We love free flowing water. Okay. So that means the responsibility for everybody who's on the water. And that's part of what snake river fest is about is about responsibility for being good stewards of the rivers. And what did we do last weekend? We we picked up garbage on yeah, Flat Creek. A lot sure of garbage on Flat Creek. Yeah. 
Is this floating into the uh, the child labor laws? Are we flirting? <laughs> no, 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 no. This is volunteer. Yeah. We yeah. got lunch for it, actually. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so food and, and volunteer. That That's was the driving force. That's something was the kayak club's yeah. been doing for years is Flat Creek cleanup. And, but just really trying to instill. We've always been trying to instill. And I think kids in Jackson can get jaded sometimes because they're, they're having all these tremendous experiences at such a young age. Mm-hmm. But I have noticed that you know, overall, most people are like, wow, this is an amazing opportunity and this is really special. And, you know, it's been great to see some of those kids start taking initiative to, to realize that, you know, river stewardship and protecting clean water, keeping dams off rivers, taking dams down from rivers too, maybe are all, are all things that, that are important. Um, you know, because rivers are the arteries of all the ecosystems. So I think we're seeing that now, just to wrap up here, I think we're seeing that now with the Lake Mead, Lake Powell, and we're kind of seeing the result of, of dams in real time. And I think that's been more prevalent now. It's been making headlines more. Maybe my algorithm just feeds me those headlines. But I feel like we're, we're starting to really realize, oh, wait, this is the most precious resource. Water is the yeah. most precious resource. So Yeah. And, and we're all, you know, we're all going to have to reexamine how we, you know, how we manage it and how we, we get to experience and realize that, you know, everybody might need to give a little something of what, of what they like. Uh, yeah. Like luxury golf courses. I've, you, if you've listened to the show at all, <laughs> you have heard me talk about wiping Vegas off the, off the face yeah. of the earth and getting rid of is, desert is that a sport? golf courses. I mean, no, just, just kidding. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> guys, you won't people. believe it. Yeah. Guys, you won't believe yeah. it. We are all out of time. Okay. Sports fans, download our podcast. We are Teton Sports Talk, wherever podcast available. Special thanks to Aaron Pruzan, owner, operator, river enthusiast of Rendezvous River Sports, and Ethan McLeod, the executive, the new executive director of the Jackson Hole Kids Club. We, I really appreciate you two coming in. Yeah, thanks for having hey, us. Thanks, Massey. Yeah, appreciate it. Sports right. Talk. Yeah, you, you want <laughs> yeah. to do the outro? It's, it's all yours. The floor is yours. What am I supposed to say? You're listening to Sports Talk on KHOL 89.1.